Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hui Chen Bui. I'm a pop culture journalist in D.C. And with me are... I am Anya Crittenton, associate editor at The Tracking Board. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. And we have a guest this week. Oh, that's my show. Yes. Yeah, I'm Mike Soligo, <laughs> just a fanboy in D.C. Yeah, he's a friend of ours, and he really loves <laughs> monsters. And that's what we're talking about this week, guys, because yeah. it's Halloween. For our special Halloween episode, we're going to talk about monster movies and yes. their metaphors. Yes. Exciting. Uh, so we all kind of have some love for monsters. Not so much horror for the th- for the three main of us, um, but monsters as an idea and as like metaphors mm-hmm. we're fascinated by. So why don't we dive right into this conversation guys what do you guys what's your what's your favorite monster vampires um i think it's there's a there's a no question why that is um you might know my love for a little show called buffy the vampire slayer which is peak monsters as metaphors Mm -hmm. and that's what i really like about monsters because they're like this sort of physical manifestation of all our greatest fears but often, <laughs> often in a cuddly form, like they're not really that scary because they have that like B movie shtick to them, which I like. Um, Do they explore like a diversity of monsters on Buffy, coming from a guy who's never even seen a single episode? They do. They just they uh, explore more than vampires. There are demons, and often when she's like battling demons, she's battling her own demons, such as like depression or. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know, what else? There's, like, tons of other metaphors in there. Um, But, yeah, like, why don't you guys go into your favorite monsters? Um, I really like werewolves. I really like uh, the Wolfman. Uh, I think the 1985 classic Teen Wolf is one of the greatest (laughs) all-time werewolf movies, uh, along with its uh, MTV TV show spinoff adaptation. It's okay. Um, I just like the idea of, like, transforming yourself into an evil creature to then fight evil creatures because a lot of Wolfman stories are like that mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's either battling the evils of society or other evil monsters and using your own evilness back at back at it's kind of like Buffy how she has yeah. the power of a demon within her Wolf but then are, uses it to battle other demons yeah Wolfmans are interesting because like even though they're a monster they're often the protagonist in their stories right. yeah they, like they, the it's, a, it's a conflicted story where they, they have to either accept who they are or fight it Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're kind of like a victim of the circumstances bestowed upon them, which makes them a lot more sympathetic and, in a way, relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is what I actually really liked uh, Benicio Del Toro's Wolfman movie. I really liked that one, oh. too. Yeah, because it's, it's a lot of people wrote it off when it was out, but I really enjoyed it. Cause mm-hmm. I, it's, it there's, and also the father-son element to it really yeah. got me. It's just so powerful. Plus Rick Baker's makeup effects. Oh, yeah. So good. Anya, why don't you go? Um... I'm not so much into the traditional monsters, I don't think. Um, vampires are fun. I prefer True Blood to Buffy um, in terms of vampire TV shows. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> Podcast over. <laughs> Done. The end. Bye, Anya. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think kind of in these sort of like a vein of like B-movie monster movies, um, my favorite's probably Pacific Rim. Uh, that's less to do with the monsters and more to do with Guillermo del Toro Um, and actually I prefer I mean I think the human element of that movie is the best part Um, but like I also like I love anything Guillermo del Toro does with monsters Pan's Labyrinth Um, and I think I prefer more fantasy like monsters and that kind of thing rather than like any sort of Mm sci-fi elements with monsters so like 
I don't know if you can consider them monsters, but like dragons and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like I prefer the fantasy sort yeah, of creatures. That's really than interesting. The yeah, monster. Creatures. You have to admit, in Pacific Rim, when that one kaiju opened up his wings and just <laughs> took off into the atmosphere, <laughs> that was a Jeez. badass moment that no one was expecting. Oh, I mean, that whole movie is like super cool and badass. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because, like, I do think there's a difference between fantasy and sci-fi monsters. So, like, fantasy monsters have, like, a mythological element, and they're not so much, like, a metaphor. more lore. Yeah, as they are, like, sort of just, like, a symbol of evil or something. Um, Whereas, like, sci-fi monsters tend to be, like, that manifestation of our fears or of whatever, like is haunting us or something like that. Frankenstein is a good example of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, But going off of Pacific Rim (laughs) and Kaiju, it's the reason we brought Mike on today because he is a huge Kaiju fan. Okay, this is going to get really geeky now. As uh, Welcome to the Millennial Talking Podcast, (laughs) where where three geeky millennials (laughs) talk about geeky things. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, just to echo what HT said, yes, I am a big Kaiju fan. I'm just a big fan of those giant fantastical beasts in general, not plugging the Harry Potter movie, but I mean, there's just an allure to, before we even get to metaphors, like I remember just watching these really hokey B-movie Godzilla movies as a child, and it's just something about these creatures being larger than life, and before you even get to like the political and social commentary behind these monsters, they're especially like Japanese kaiju, when you compare them to Western American monsters, which are like these familiar creatures like giant ants or giant lizards that are amplified by radiation. Hmm. Look at creatures like Godzilla, Anguirus, King Ghidorah, Mothra, Gamera. They're very imaginative. They have unique designs. They've got like these incredible diverse array of powers that makes them their own unique characters within the larger kaiju universe without actually making them into these weird oh, it's a friendly E.T. superhero <laughs> Godzilla like the rest of the Showa era films were. And then you really get into oh, he's actually the manifestation of death and angst in the post-nuclear age. And that's when you realize there's a deeper meaning to these giant monsters, and I feel it gives them more gravitas Mm. in retrospect. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. (laughs) Um, I think you do lose that, like, cultural... Um, sort of roots of Godzilla and all of the, the Mothra and stuff like that um, when you bring it over to America because like a lot oh of it God. is a lot of like Godzilla is rooted in like fear of imperialism and like that kind of tension like nuclear tensions with American soldiers and, and everything like the that. reaction right. to the Hiroshima and Nagasaki mm-hmm. bombs exactly. exactly so it's really interesting because like a lot of I feel like Godzilla is like one of the few monsters that are so culturally rooted like that mm-hmm. yeah um it, his the power of him being a nuclear metaphor has unfortunately been diluted incredibly over the years to the point where okay now he's like being interpreted as the savior of Japan he's really kitty friendly oh we're going to make him more serious now instead of being the nuclear metaphor now it's like he's a giant animal so he's a force of nature mm. which i guess you could go like in terms of giant monsters that makes that appeal but i feel like the whole nuclear metaphor is what makes him qualitatively exceptional and mm. what makes him stand out in the pan of giant monsters. So what do you think of the one that came out in 2014? Because they kind of brought that back to nuclear okay. relation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, aside from the really bland uh, characters in oh, the yeah. script, I thought that Gareth Edwards, I mean, he did have a great idea of making Godzilla feel like this event. Because I remember it was uh, Guillermo del Toro when he was uh, when Pacific Rim was being released. He said that there is, like, the way the audience engages that degree of destruction and violence, it's more guilt-free when compared to, say, a war or a mass shooting. Mm. Because it's like, we're amazed by the destructive power of, say, a hurricane or a tornado, and because giant monsters are really imaginative and they occur in this fantasy realm that there's just it just hooks and engages the audience in a way that other forms of destruction don't hmm. which makes it less guilty i would say mm-hmm. interesting like that's the thing that doesn't really fascinate me about horror uh, monster movies rather like that just kind of wanton almost meaningless destruction because i like it more when there are is metaphor so uh, but it's such amazing spectacle. It is a really fun spectacle. Um, but yeah, I like that's one of the things I do like about um, zombie movies, which is something we haven't touched on yet, mm. which are also rooted in nuclear fears. Mm-hmm. Um, they were kind of they rose up in the during the Cold War and were basically a manifestation of like those fears of nuclear. Um, winter. Yeah, and that's exactly what like the original I Am Legend book and uh, a couple of the. F- adaptations were about was that um, there was a nuclear war which caused these vampiric creatures to mm. uh, rise from the grave at, and like create a new society whereas Will Smith's character or like Robert Neville I think his character's name is um, was the last man so that's why he's a legend is that mm. there's a new society right born after this nuclear winter so why do you guys think that there's been kind of a transition from these more personal Demons, I guess you would say, like the vampire or like Jekyll and Hyde, which is the most like in, inward internal manifestation of like that kind of fear, to like these big nuclear wasteland type of fears of these monsters. I think it definitely has to do with the Cold War. Mm. Um, we after World War II, we learned that the world was a lot bigger than we thought, mm. and yeah. the weapons we have can cause a lot more destruction and that the consequences of those weapons can be a lot larger than just a bullet to the head. Um, so I think that the, the idea of taking these, the, the, taking science and almost expanding it into magic a mm. little bit because you get, you know, obviously a nuclear apocalypse is not going to cause a zombie outbreak. That doesn't happen. But our fears of a nuclear apocalypse can create something in our heads like, yeah. oh shit, what if something bad happens to the humanity? What if there's something in nuclear, in nuclear radiation that we don't know about that can cause some sort of like reappearance of humans after they die? Mm-hmm. Right. Like a jump start. I, I think it's interesting that these monsters have, have existed for so long and they kind of go through like um, cycles mm. almost. Because like... So, like, the zombies that we know now are very, like, nuclear-based. But, like, zombies have existed since, I believe, the 19th century. Really? And, like, yeah. Yeah, and they they came about... Actually, it's interesting. It's actually sort of a weirdly xenophobic thing where, like, it was, like, Haitian voodoo and, like, West African voodoo and things oh. like that. And, like, Westerners, like, kind of seeing this, like, voodoo magic or whatever and, like reanimating the dead and it was sort of like this like weirdly othering mm-hmm. um with I zombie that, yeah. um and also i mean sort of frankenstein like mm-hmm. you know frankenstein's monster is a reanimated corpse the fear um, of the other yeah 
Yeah, and so it's interesting, and then, like, now, like, then, like, the Cold War happened and stuff, and now a lot of the zombies that occur in media are very, like, as you were saying, like, Mm radiation-based. And it's interesting how, like, the same sort of idea can kind of go through hundreds of years, but keep getting, like, reimagined depending on, like, what's happening culturally in the world at the time. I do think that there's actually a new shift for zombies, that they're not just uh, nuclear-based now, but fear of um, virus. Yeah, disease. Yeah. Yeah. Disease is a huge part of the modern zombie myth of that. Um, If if you're bitten by a zombie, then you become a zombie. Yeah, what's that um, really popular one that was... Oh, my God, I can't remember what it is. Dawn of the Dead? Not Dawn of the Dead. 28 Um, Days? 28 Days Later? 20 Days Later, that's what it is. Oh, that okay. one was very based, that was, the zombies were very based on the virus and everything like that. Yeah, and yeah. we're seeing that kind of continuation of the fear of the virus, which is like, it it's, makes sense because we're seeing like these giant hysteria over Ebola, Zika. like last year, Zika this year. And I think it's because it's, you know, once we, once humans had the cure, or not cure, but like penicillin, and modern medicine became better, and we, you know, we weren't dying in childbirth, we weren't dying you know, from the common cold, suddenly disease, like our fears of disease got a little bit wilder because like, okay, we've conquered these little lower diseases like polio. Right. Something else is is definitely out there mm-hmm. in our heads and, and going to yeah. hit us. So that's what happens. Like, with, shout with out to one of my zombies. favorite zombie movies, but like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, that movie is amazing. I won't let anyone tell me otherwise. It's Can you incredible. talk a little bit about that um the zombies role in that movie because I remember you telling us telling me during like our period movies discussion and that's why this kind of monster movie episode came about because I was like wow there's a lot to say about monsters um so you talked about how zombies in Pride and Precious and Zombies had a significant meaning yeah well they came about um from the Black Plague Mm. um in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies um but there's like an interesting uh plot thing in that movie where uh, the bad guy wants to use the zombies to kind of uh, cleanse their society or sort of restart society um, and kind of let the zombies sort of run loose um, or almost also, like, coexist with them. Um, and so they do some interesting things. There's also really an interesting, like, class thing in Pride and and Zombies where, like, people in England are training to fight the zombies and those who are wealthier go to Japan to train, and those who <laughs> are less wealthy go to China. Oh, um, interesting. Which is an interesting... It's an interesting thing that the movie doesn't, like... The movie is clear about, like, that is, like, an outdated way of thinking, because, like, Elizabeth Bennet, your protagonist, trained in China, mm-hmm. but she is clearly so fantastic, so, like, it kind of dismantles that idea, but it it's meant to show the classism of England. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so that's kind of the zombies in that movie, um, which I really find fun. But yeah. I should watch it. I mean, like you, you uh, always you talk about it so much. I'm just like, I it's wonder so if it's actually fun. really fun. <laughs> um, so it's let's, such a fun film. Speaking of fun, let's draw back a little bit from our like big metaphorical socio political discussion and talk, <laughs> <laughs> and talk a little bit about one of the best parts about monster movies is and kitschy bee monster movies. Um, and kind of, like, their roots in just, like, why they're so, like, not taken seriously as a horror genre, but they're also kind of just fun that way. Um, you have something to say? Oh, no. I don't know. Um, if, 
if you want a perfect example, look up any Godzilla suit from the 1970s and just how dopey and weird and a much of a crossbred between Kermit the Frog and Cookie Monster he looks oh like. Oh god, that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, there, and there are just like some really incredible over-the-top scenes that, you know, it, it's stupid fun, but it's kind of engaging. But I could see why, you know, people are not going to be like, this is high art that I want to pursue. I mean, there's a scene where Godzilla, like, floats on his tail and drop kicks this subterranean cockroach and a giant space chicken. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. In partnership with Robot. Godzilla versus Megalon. Look it up. You will laugh for the rest of the day. Oh, my God. I, I want to watch all these Godzilla movies. <laughs> Wait, Mike, can I ask you a question? Go ahead. So, like, seriously speaking. Yes. I'm very serious. <laughs> Godzilla versus King Kong, who actually, regardless of movies, regardless of what the movie's outcome have been, like, your opinion, uh-huh. who wins? Who wins? Godzilla. Easily. Um, he, has, he has teeth. They're all- I could blast him out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> and fire, I guess. <laughs> Radio- radioactive power... Um, versus a giant gorilla. Versus a giant gorilla, yeah, sure. Even if they made Kong ten times bigger than he normally should be. I mean, yeah, he's agile, yes, he's strong. But that guy's going down with radioactive sickness, like, soon, if he's not incinerated immediately. Yeah, because, like, as you know, like, Godzilla can breathe, like, this weird radioactive fire from his mouth. Yeah. And that just, that'll stop anything. It, like, a- anything that isn't also radioactive. <laughs> I, I, this is, like, the fun part about B-Monster movies. It's just, like, imagine them fighting. Like, they're just giant. Just oh, because I, I am so excited for that Kong vs. Godzilla remake that comes out in 2020 because I know that when Kong Falcon punches Godzilla in the face, it could be the dumbest thing ever, but I'm going to get my money's worth. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> be it'll be, like, in that scene in King Kong, the Peter Jackson and the original one where Kong tries to rip open the dinosaur's mouth, yeah. and instead of just the dinosaur's jaw dropping, it'll be Godzilla blasting fire <laughs> into his face. Oh, and they're going to be bigger than, like, Mountains. Yeah, because is it the Godzilla from the 2014 movie? Yeah, it's the Gareth Edwards Godzilla versus the Kong in that new Kong film that's the one coming with Tom out. Hiddleston. Oh, that one's a giant Kong. Yeah, yeah, because he's he's supposed to be bigger than like any Kong. Yeah, so. they made this one like bipedal, like he was in the original Japanese version. And what they did in the Japanese version that made him like a weird Frankenstein monster. Because okay. Really nerdy context. Kong versus Godzilla was supposed to be Japan's King Kong versus the Frankenstein monster. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. And then, yeah, and apparently they were like, "Oh, this is going to be totally rad." And then they were like, "No, this is going to be stupid now." So let's let's just switch out Kong and have Godzilla fight Frankenstein. No, that's even more stupid. I know. Let's have Kong versus Godzilla. And so what they did is that in that movie they gave Kong like this ability, like he gets like super ape strength from being from like exposure to electricity and so all of a sudden he's like shocking godzilla with his new electric powers like he's electro in spider-man oh wow that's amazing (laughs) this makes no sense but i love it it makes no (laughs) sense but it's an amazing spectacle i highly recommend it yeah i think why do these these kind of be monster movies and kind of these like ridiculous notions appeal to you guys and audiences at large. I think uh, Mike just said it's spectacle. I think just this, the idea of seeing these creatures fighting each other uh, kind of can be, like, super amazing. Like, I, I remember watching the 2014 Godzilla movie and not really liking the plot of it, and the characters were bland and very just, like, generic, like, reacting to something that we can't see. And I and But then, like, the moments where Godzilla was, like, fighting the other 
creatures. Like the Mudos. Yeah, and they were just like battling it out, and Kong was like, oh, not Kong, uh, Godzilla was like blasting them with radiate with radiated fire. I'm just like, okay, this is what I paid the 15 bucks for. Like that's what I'm here for is is monster fighting, not uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson going, oh no, my family. <laughs> yeah, ironically, it's a form of escapism, despite you know. We're just us talking about how monsters are big metaphors, but you know, like it's a metaphor. It's an escape to the metaphor. <laughs> it's an escape to the metaphor. Um, so I guess like monsters have both those sides to it. It can have like that more internal um, meaning, but it also can just be fun apes and lizards punching each other. And like even the really like subpar hokey ones. Um, for me, it's very akin to superheroes. You've got these colorful, diverse characters. There's that one centralized protagonist monster, you know, that's the hero of humanity, fighting against all these unique bad guys. And, like, I rate all the different kaiju that Godzilla has fought based on both coolness and, like, how they uniquely challenge him. So, yeah, that's really nerdy, I know. No, <laughs> no that's okay. You're on the right podcast. How, I just want to know how many, like, kaiju movies like not kaiju how many godzilla movies there are because like um, there seems to be some dating back from 1954 i think the most recent one shin godzilla is the 29th i want to say godzilla mm-hmm. movie or just kaiju movie godzilla film oh there's like there's so tons of other kaiju movies we're not even counting let's just narrow down to godzilla <laughs> oh my goodness yeah and i have probably seen every single one of them because that was my life growing up other than comic books it was godzilla films <laughs> that's sweet <laughs> how many times did he fight mecha godzilla oh ooh. <laughs> that was my first VHS copy of a Godzilla film, was Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, where these uh, alien space chimpanzees, for some reason, infiltrate the Earth and yes. set Mechagodzilla against both Godzilla and this giant dog crossed with a cat named King Caesar that is has to be woken up by a Japanese pop song, by the way. Well, That's well, amazing. There's one, two, three, four, five films where him and Mechagodzilla throw down. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> so can I ask you, um, with Godzilla, like I know we've talked about like the radiation element and everything. Yeah. Um I think one of the things like with King Kong is that there's the whole like misunderstood beast right. aspect to King Kong and like taken from his home and everything like that. Is there sort of any like emotional core with Godzilla? Ooh, that's a good one. Um if I had to say, it honestly, we have to go back to the metaphor of nuclear annihilation, but I think what the most recent iteration of Godzilla does is that they keep that metaphor, but it's also a bit of a self, not necessarily, okay, it is a self-critique of Japanese bureaucracy, yada, yada, but it's also a critique of U.S. paternalism with regards to Japanese defense policy because that is never really explored in any Godzilla film. And what was really unique about this is that, minor spoiler, there's a plot point where obviously the Americans tell the Japanese, in order to save you from this giant radioactive monster, we must save Japan by dropping a thermonuclear bomb on Tokyo. Ooh. And this is in Shin Shin Godzilla, Shin Godzilla. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese are just besides themselves and, like, that's where I feel like the real dramatic kick is because it's like, okay, this monster is a manifestation of man's folly in pursuing nuclear weaponry, but now we're being told in order to save ourselves, we must nuke our capital city. 
Wow. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was a punch in the gut for me like, as a Godzilla fan. The character of Godzilla himself, does he have any sort of motivation other than just, like, wanton destruction? Because he's supposed to be the king of the monsters. Yeah, yeah. he has a son who's really annoying. And there's, there's a son of Godzilla? His name is Minya. He talks to a little child in his fantasy dream in Godzilla's <laughs> Is he like a small Godzilla? He's like this mini little... Okay, he's the ugliest thing I think I've ever seen in my life, by the way. He's like a Ninja Turtle? Yeah, he looks like a Ninja Turtle. He looks like Doomsday from Batman v Superman, actually. God, that was oh my gosh. Yeah, and he's really annoying. He has like this really dopey roar, but it's kind of cute because there's a scene on Monster Island where Godzilla is training him to fight other monsters, and he's like, use your radioactive breath. And he like throws out a puff of smoke, and so Godzilla has to step on his tail so he could actually breathe by. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so like, the motivation behind Godzilla is mostly just like a gladiatorial, gladiator. Gladiatorial, yeah, sort of motivation. I mean, right? he's a very territorial animal. Mm. So, I mean, whenever he, like, rampages through a city, it's because he's trying to find an energy source. You know, it's like if I was to randomly, oops, I stepped on an anthill. Yeah, I kind of destroyed that little mini ecosystem, unfortunately. But it's like, you don't really comprehend that. And Godzilla, he's like, oh, I'm just going to stroll through the city. Right. And when he sees another giant monster, he's like, wait, what are you doing in my territory? Yeah, he's like, nobody fights me but me. <laughs> exactly. Get the fuck out. All right. Because I think that's what happens in the Gareth Edwards one, is that they've released these these Mudos into the world on accident, and Godzilla's like, um, that's not right. <laughs> I'm the king here. GTFO. And then he fights he fights them out. And, yeah. and I think that once, like, all the humans realize, like, that's what they're doing, they like, you know, I, there's that one scene where the battleships, the U.S. battleships are, like, floating. They're, like, uh, they're, like, on, they're, like, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're on the water with him. him. They're, like, tracking him, and mm-hmm. they're making sure that he goes to San Francisco to fight the Mudos. There's even, like, a scene where he, like, unintentionally just saves people, like, on the Golden Gate Bridge because they accidentally fire a bunch of rockets, and he just happened to get up, and he took the blast. He's like, oh, yeah. hello, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, he's like, hey, what's up? How's it going? Yeah, so I think that that's, that's where I can see the emotional core of Godzilla is that he's, yeah, like you said, ter- very territorial, very protective of his own kingdom in which he believes he's king. Which yeah, he I mean, like, for him, it's his habitat. And mm-hmm. so he will react like any bear or, say, a Komodo dragon would react as, whoa, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> so he's going to get aggressive. Oh, I can't. And if it benefits the people that he's accidentally saving, then so be it. Oh, I don't know if I want to bring up my fan fiction for a Godzilla Pacific Rim crossover. Oh my god! <laughs> Please bring... Now you have to. <laughs> okay, basic plot points is that he's like this classified category 10 kaiju, but he's... I mean, you know how the Pacific Rim monsters, they're specifically engineered to wipe out humanity, whereas he's more of an animal, so he's really indifferent to you. Hu- to humanity. And when is he, he a kaiju along with the same creatures? And he's just abandoned? Is this the plot to Dragon Ball? Um, the plot to Dragon Ball? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's Goku. Uh, yeah, he like ends up through the space portal, Portex, oh, Vortex, I can't talk right now, and he ends up, I guess, on Earth 2, where all the Pacific Rim kaiju are, and uh, like the idea is that he initially gets aggressive with, say, Gypsy Danger, because he has no idea what a giant robot is, or why it's attacking him, because obviously, Gypsy Danger thinks that he's another one of the kaiju and then they eventually team up and right. take on like an army of these, you know, Cat Five from all those evil aliens. It's it's really nerdy. I'm sorry, guys. Is, is Idris Elba still alive in this one? Um, 
I am trying to rework the science <laughs> to resuscitate Idris Elba's character. Um, to keep I, him with John Boyega. I haven't. Yeah, yeah, with John Boyega. I have not ironed out those details yet. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, cloning through the son's DNA. Right. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, so to get back on topic, actually, I don't really know what we're on topic. topic. Yeah, we're, we're on, on topic. topic. Um, anything else you want to add about monsters? I kind of feel like we've talked a lot about the history of monsters and, like, the first fantasy elements and, like, the sci-fi and, like, what that means metaphorically, but do we see a new kind of monster showing up in, like, horror movies or just, like... Um, genre movies. I feel like a one that we could potentially label as a monster is like AI. Well, I mean, you you could because they are a different type of being that in most movies they end up being like the villain and mm-hmm. they end up terrorizing the, the regular humans. Um, I guess it, it that's more borderline with this like this the Frankenstein yeah. type of uh, yeah. You see that in like or, Terminator and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like where it's there. I mean, yeah, there's a science behind it, but a lot of it doesn't make like they never try to explain these mm-hmm. guys. So, question for the hosts: Do dinosaur films count as giant monster films, like Jurassic Park? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I count it because it's a disaster film. Jurassic World was definitely like basically a reiteration of Godzilla versus Mothra for me. Like the final battle, <laughs> battle oh, yeah. was just like I was like I was very critical of that. Will be remember? I kind of like that part. I was, I was just like, why? It was, a, it was a cool part. Yeah, it was, I guess it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to watch it. I was like, that's really awesome. Were you going to say more? Um, no, no. I was just like, um, it's like, hey, yeah, I also love giant dinosaur films. <laughs> like, one of my favorites. Like, I guess it kind of counts as a giant monster film, but The Valley of Guanji, another random recommendation, where it's like cowboys versus a gigantic Allosaurus who kills... Love a- Allosauruses. <laughs> They're my favorite. But it's also a great use of Ray Harryhausen's uh, stop-motion animation. And, oh, God, why didn't we not mention Ray Harryhausen in Monster Clash of the Titans. Films? Yeah, like all his mythic beasts, like Clash of the Titans, The Amazing Adventures of Sinbad. Oh. I mean, that's just peak creativity right there. That's not kaiju. Yeah, we didn't really touch on fantasy monsters yeah, that much. Yeah, I know. Because I remember Anya brought it up as like one of her favorites on fantasy creatures. I was mm-hmm. like, how do we not mention Ray Harryhausen? I have not seen Clash of the Titans, so... I have. Harry <laughs> Hamlin has Clash the, the weirdest hair. It's fun. Yeah, it's and I've also, I've also seen the Sam Worthington one. That was not good. Oh, no. That was terrible. Yeah, it was very bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I do like fantasy uh, monsters as well, though. Like they feel a little bit more nightmarish to me. Like mm-hmm. sort of those kind of things that you see in your nightmares thing. <laughs> Actually, speaking of this, just like totally brought to mind a recent spate of sort of monster movie-related things. The clown scare. Oh jeez. Oh the no. <laughs> oh. Maybe I shouldn't have brought that up. No, because there's. This is actually uh, kind of related because there's a really schlocky like B-movie horror film from the 80s, which I think it's literally called Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And the finale that. involves a giant, monstrous space clown rampaging through a city. That doesn't even make sense. Why would a clown be from space, though? Why would he be a giant space clown? Apparently, they're like these extraterrestrial beings. I'm probably confusing the plot or whatnot, but... For some reason, they ended up like possessing the image of a clown because they found that to be a very terrifying pop culture icon. They're right. Yeah, and so all these weird <laughs> aliens started taking the forms of clowns. 
to the point where we had Clownzilla rampaging through an urban center. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So basically, I guess the point I was trying to make, I don't really know if I was trying to make a point, <laughs> is that monsters take all sorts of shapes and sizes, whether they're like a big metaphor uh, for nuclear radiation, whether they're a fantasy um, creature that come, seems to come from like some sort of nightmarish thing. One monster I do actually want to point to, um, to give a shout out to is the Slender Man, which is like the most uh -huh. recent kind of entry to our monster list, I guess. Do you guys know about the Slender Man? Yeah. Very, very Played the game. I've yeah. made I made our host on Tech Talk play the game. Yeah, I saw you. I think I helped film your your episode where you fil started playing it for like half an hour. And I was like, are we just going to shoot you guys playing this on a camera, on, like a, <laughs> on a computer? Anyway, Slender Man I think is really interesting because it is, I think, the most modern monster that we have. And it's kind of just like more eerie than anything sort of bombastic or anything. He's so minimalist. Mm hmm But... He's definitely like the most. Um, I don't really. Yeah, I wouldn't really know if it like there's a metaphor. I want to give another shout out to Story Wonk, who did a really great episode on the Slender Man. Anya, you should check it out because it's really fascinating and kind of like okay. it's sort of um, kind of coming up into pop culture. Like you see it in Doctor Who with the silence. You see mm -hmm. it in Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer with the hush, with um, with hush, the um, gentleman in hush, and it's kind of like that very. I think it's rooted almost like in sort of like this fear of like. Not industrialism, but like that kind of industrialist image, yeah. um, and like a sort of classic robber baron. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very interesting. I will. I don't really know like how much I can really add to their analysis of it, but I just want to say like point out to recommend to go and check out their episode on it. Um, yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to like human monsters, mm. um, which I think are really interesting. Just like you know, like Dracula, Jekyll and Hyde. Is kind of the idea that like the monster is within us, mm -hmm. like as human beings, like Dracula and vampires, like giving into this kind of carnal, primal desires and urges, and like Jekyll and Hyde, the idea of like having multiple facets to you as a human being and kind of being at war within yourself. Um, I think those are always really interesting monsters to explore. Um, shout out to Once Upon a Time, their current Jekyll and Hyde. Um, <laughs> Super hot um, Hyde. Dude, Hyde is so attractive. And they seem to be, There's the. they're actually exploring them in tonight's episode. Or, mm. Nope, it's not going to be, it's going to be Halloween when this airs. All right, we're going to cut this out. We can cut that out. <laughs> um, yeah, and they actually explored them recently. They're doing some fun kind of twists with the characters of Hyde and Jekyll. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think there's something really fascinating when you kind of make the humans the monsters. I like that too. Speaking upon that point, that uh, just brought up, um, now this is slightly comic booky, but Blade, because his central struggle, struggle mm -hmm. as a character is he's half human, half vampire. Mm -hmm. So he's totally wrestling with that literal conflicting side mm -hmm. of, okay, everyone hates me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think uh, the Underworld movies have a very interesting perspective on like it's basically creature versus creature, right? Or right, like creature race cre versus creature race, mm -hmm. and also there's hybrids. It's like a Romeo and Juliet warring families kind of thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think that they they explore that pretty well. And um, one that one that doesn't work very well is uh, uh, Van Helsing. <laughs> I was just gonna bring that up. <laughs> I actually have a weird I have a weird love for the movie and the fact that it's just it's not great, it's not good, but it's kind of like. They tried their best, but their best just wasn't great. Poor Hugh, <laughs> poor Hugh Jackman. Yeah, and, yeah, and Pete Beckinsale is oh. in it. Pete Beckinsale. Uh, 
and it's you know they tried they tried to do like a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen thing of having like these universal movie monsters like Frankenstein and and the Wolfman and Dracula uh, and like just trying to like am- amalgam them together and like have a plot and it just really didn't work because uh, first they couldn't even use Abraham Van Helsing they had to use Gabriel Van Helsing wait 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 yeah they couldn't get the rights to the actual character Abraham Van Helsing oh so they God. just had his brother Gabriel Van Helsing <laughs> wait yeah. oh, oh my. that's amazing go back and watch it he's Gabriel Van Helsing that never registered with me yeah oh my yeah, he's not Abraham. He's not the actual professor. That's why he's not a professor. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's basically James Bond oh, for the monster movie that's universe. That's hilarious. Um, and I guess we haven't brought it up. Uh, are they still doing a, um, a monster movie cinematic universe? Yeah. With yeah. Dracula Untold? Like, uh, oh, I forgot about that. The actress from Kingsman, the one with uh, the cool legs, mm-hmm. she's the mummy. Oh, with Tom Cruise. Um, yeah. Right, because they're doing yeah. The Mummy, and Dracula Untold is supposed to be the, the star, oh. like the Iron Man of this, Luke, of this universe, Luke right? Evans, weird film. Yeah. No, I believe Dracula Untold is not part of this universe. Oh, I thought it was. I, I think it maybe was supposed to be, but it did so horribly that... So they're rebooting it already. Oh, they're just being another Dracula. I, don't, I, actually don't, I actually don't know. I haven't heard anything about Dracula in this universe. Because um, Dracula Untold is not... It's not great. The best. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But I, I heard um, but yeah, that they're that doing was the mummy. The, the one that like brought it. Yeah, but this I mean, one. Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds was supposed to be a Justice League like leaded, yeah. Like, yeah. So, so yeah, um, I just we'll know about that people people have been talking about this monster movie universe since I think Dracula Untold came out, which has been a couple of years now. So I just didn't yeah. know. Well, they're, they're filming the mummy right now. Yeah, yeah. So oh. like, so they're on their way. To, That's the to official something. like heralding this. Which, which is really franchise. funny considering that these Universal Monster movies had crossovers all the time. Yeah. Like, we had, like, you know, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, or Frankenstein versus Dracula. Like, mm-hmm. these things, yeah. that, that happened a lot in the old, in the 1940s and 50s. So, it's interesting now that they're trying to, rec- they're trying to bring that back in having these characters, inter- having these creatures interact with each other in maybe not the Van Helsing way. Mm-hmm. How is Guillermo yeah. del Toro not spearheading that project? I... I think he's got a lot on his plate. <laughs> he is doing so much. He's yeah. doing his own thing. But yeah, I guess it's bringing back the fun sort of practice of just clashing our action figures together and yeah. seeing how it works. <laughs> yeah, and then speaking of, shout out to one of the best monster movies of all time, The Mummy. Oh, with Brendan so Fraser. Good. That movie is the best. Oh, so funny. I used to watch that on TBS all the Me time. Me too. <laughs> it's such a good film. Um, and I think, you know, I think this is completely unrelated to The Mummy, but I kept thinking of Hellboy as a really great monster film. Also, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, (laughs) del Toro is just the best. He loves monster films. Um, And I think Hellboy is just a really fun Mm -hmm. kind of exploration of monsters. And Ron Perlman. Oh, go on. Sorry. No, yeah, yeah. I was just saying, I love Hellboy. Yeah, like, Ron Perlman even had some great ideas when he was talking about, like, we have to do Hellboy 3. And his goal was, like, Hellboy has to reach into his inner ultimate demon to, like, combat, like, a threat or a villain that really challenges him on both a physical and emotional level where he t- turns into like I don't know whatever Lucifer personified in his ultimate form is mm-hmm. and it just sounded really cool and mm-hmm. something creative mm-hmm. um, I want to like mention this a little bit although I don't really want to dive into it because I don't know much about religious connotations of like monsters and stuff like a lot of 
our older monsters are rooted in um, Christianity, like the devil, demons, um, all those kind of things, um, exorcism and stuff. Um, so I just wanted to kind of mention that. I don't really want to talk about it too much because like, there's a lot of material Fun, there. interesting fact about I Am Legend as when it was a book was that if who, whatever religious... Whatever the religion you were when you died and you came back as this vampire creature is what uh, you you like. You know how you hold up a cross to a vampire uh-huh. yeah. and they like fear it. So if you held up like a star of David to a Jewish uh, vampire, Ooh. they would react to it. Interesting. Or to the to the um, to the different religious symbols in the world. Because mm. um, like Robert Neville, really Robert Neville like discovered that that was a thing that happened. Mm. So. I think that's one of the fun things you can do with monsters is when you kind of reimagine them, you got to kind of create your own rules mm-hmm. and yeah. you can kind of just create new mythology. Yeah. Like that's one of the things I always loved about True Blood was how political the vampires were. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, it got really political. I mean, that they had like kings and queens and they had kind of their own like governing system and I always found that really fascinating in True Blood and I like that when you kind of reinterpret monsters, you can kind of create your own rules for them. Hmm. Like Monsters, Inc. And how it's like yeah. an industry of scaring children. Yeah, yeah. Or they go to the university to learn how to scare. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, monsters, Inc. Shout out to a great monster film. Um, the by the way, guys, never see Victor Frankenstein. Never. Oh, oh no, you were disappointed You were so excited that. for that. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. I hate that movie. It's terrible. Oh, no. I mean, who's surprised? It's written by Max Landis. Yeah. Like, no one's surprised here. Um, <laughs> at the very least, James McAvoy is fun in it. Yeah. He is how, very charming as Victor Frankenstein. He is wonderful. Massive. But that movie is garbage. Oh. So never watch Victor Frankenstein if you want to see monster movies. I... I'll cross it. it off my list. <laughs> Avoid it at all costs. All right. Um, I think that's a good way to wrap up our monster movie episode. Awesome. Um, why don't we actually just end it with some recommendations for monster movies to our listeners? Ooh. One recommendation each. Uh, Benicio del Toro's. Uh, well, not it's not his, but like the one that he stars in, in The Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an extended cut that has like twenty much twenty more minutes. Oh, okay. Anya. I will recommend Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, I was going to recommend that. <laughs> Mike? Um, obviously, it's going to be a Godzilla film, but it's my personal favorite, Godzilla vs. Biollante, which he fights this gigantic Venus flytrap that looks like a gigantic crocodile, but it's the only Godzilla movie that feels like it gets into horror territory. Mm. All right, um, since Anya took Pan's Labyrinth from me, <laughs> I will uh, recommend the host. Uh, it's... A really great Korean film um, featuring a monster that you don't really see that much. I really like it. Uh, So let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Um, Mike, as the guest for this week's episode, why don't you start us off? What do you really like in pop culture this week? Well, it didn't come out this week. It actually came out a while ago, but it's tangentially related to my discussion of giant monsters. But I do really like the Netflix series Voltron Legendary Defender. If you're looking to binge like a quick adventurous cartoon that's very reminiscent of that Saturday morning action adventure type of storytelling, it's got great animation, very fun character driven storylines. It's a quick watch, but it's very entertaining, and I highly recommend it. Also, cool giant monsters so obviously i'm there 
and it's and by the same. People, yeah, uh, we were gonna say the same thing. <laughs> the same people who did uh, Korra and Avatar, right? Yeah, that is correct. The same producers are all working on Voltron. That's um, so awesome! So you yeah. know it's gonna be good. Oh, yeah. it's a worthy follow-up. Yeah, I've, I've seen, I've seen most of the show. It's pretty good. Is it like one season only? Yeah, they aired the first season. The second season comes out January 2017. Nice. It was a quick turnaround. Yeah, the first season premiered in like what June? Yeah, it May? came out this summer, and I was thinking that oh it's going to be a year long wait but they were like nope we're already working on the second season like it's going to come out soon which um works well because this minor spoiler this season ends very abruptly like it's a huge cliffhanger type ending not like you know walking dead not annoying <laughs> but it's it keeps you wanting more not pissing you off how many episodes is the first season um i think it's I don't think it's ten, maybe eight. Well, the first episode is like an hour long. So yeah, it's... the other, I think it's like I think it's in, in total about eleven. But the the time of it turns into like a regular thirteen episode. I mean, it's half hour. Right, right. right. So it you'll be able to blast through in like a day if you binge it. Yeah, that's what I did just on one lazy Sunday, man. Nice, <laughs> yeah. nice. The best. So that's my. Uh, I really, really like you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mike. Um, Willoughby, why don't you go next? What's your really like for this week? Also, something that came out a while ago, but I just saw um, on Monday. Uh, a bunch of us, including Mike, went to go see *The Hunt for the Wilder People*, uh, Taika Waititi's movie that he, that he uh, premiered earlier in the year. It was playing at the West End Cinema in uh, Washington D.C. And it was, it was really fun. It was one of the best movies I've seen all year. It's so funny, also heartfelt, and incredibly well-filmed. You know, something I just wasn't expecting it, because uh, I saw um, uh, his other movie, the, the one of the other movies, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which is also incredible, but the, the filmmaking styles are incredibly different, including the fact that but like besides the fact that it's a mockumentary in what we do in the shadows in a real life movie in, or like a real quote unquote real movie in um, in Hunt for the Wilder People, it's just the the filmmaking style is just completely uh, opposite. But his 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 personal style is still there. So I really love that. Um, it's incredibly New Zealand. It's incredibly beautiful. Um, the main kid is great. Sam Neill is in it, and he play he does his modern. Or he does his regular uh, New Zealand accent. I didn't even know he was New Zealand before this movie. Uh, A Kiwi. That's what they... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it was a really great movie. I know it's right now it's on Amazon Video to stream. Um, I think it might also be on DVD, but uh, they were playing it at West End Cinema, and we decided to go. Uh, it was really fun. If you like uh, Taika Waititi, his, another one of his films, it's just called Boy. It's on Netflix. Hmm. Um, and it's really good, so I definitely... And he's in it. Um, I don't know, is he in Hunt for the Wilder People? Very brief cameo as a priest. Okay, he's one of the main characters in Boy, um, similar to how he was in What We Do in the Shadows. Um, but yeah, if you like him, you should check out Boy. Yeah, and I should say, he's directing Thor Ragnarok. Yes! And uh, if, you, if you guys saw what, uh, uh, what Thor was doing during Civil War, it's... <laughs> I'm I'm hoping the entire movie is like that. 
I actually have not seen that video. It's oh, you so got so it. funny. After, after we're done recording, go watch it. <laughs> I will. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure what to expect. Oh, well, I'm not sure what to expect from Thor Ragnarok because I'd only seen what we do in the shadows. But um, hearing that uh, Hunt for the Wilder People and Boy are like so different but still so good, I think I'll check them out to kind of prep for Thor Ragnarok. Definitely watch definitely. Hunt for the Wilder People. It's mm-hmm. so good. I expect a lot of charm. Mm, yes. Right. Uh, so, Anya, what is your really like for this week? So my really like, something pretty nerdy. Um, and related to one of our previous episodes, recent episodes. So I really like Christopher Marlowe and the fact that Oxford has named him as an official co-author of three of William Shakespeare's plays. Oh, the nice. Henry the Fourth uh, trilogy, I think it's the fourth. Um, I love this so much because, one, I'm a huge Christopher Marlowe fan. I love Marlowe. Um, and, two, I just love because, like, Shakespeare undoubtedly collaborated with so many people. And the fact that they've now, like, kind of officially said that they think he collaborated with Marlowe is just makes my little, like, history-lit nerd heart sore. Um, some academics say that they don't think that he collaborated with Marlowe and that Oxford is wrong with that. A lot of people at the time really loved Marlowe and had kind of Marlowe's words in their heads. And so whoever Shakespeare did collaborate with was similar to Marlowe in that they're now they're just like attributing it to Marlowe himself. Um, so I'm just really excited about this. But anyone who's still an anti-Stratfordian is wrong. Shakespeare is real. He just collaborated with other people at the time. All right. And I'm really excited about this. So Christopher Marlowe is like the Ryan Lewis to Shakespeare's Macklemore. <laughs> sort of, yeah. I mean, in, in so many when words. Shakespeare, when Shakespeare was like getting his start, Marlowe was like the playwright. Mm-hmm. He was the guy. And I mean, the thing is, had Marlowe not died so young, it probably would have been like a Marlowe-Shakespeare like feud. Wait, Christopher Marlowe was in Shakespeare in Love, right? Yes. Yes. He was um, Rupert Everett. Okay, for some reason I had it in my head he was played played by Ben Affleck, and I think no. that would have made me so much better. Yeah, because there's there's a part um, in Shakespeare in Love where Shakespeare finds out that Marlowe was killed. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he's but, yeah. really distraught about it. I don't know why I thought it was Ben Affleck. I feel like most people think it's Ben Affleck, but it's not. I think they look alike in that movie. I but Google this now. Okay, see, when I saw that news earlier this week, I actually thought that you wouldn't like it, Anya, because I remember we had that kind of discussion about, like, Shakespeare being the author behind his works and stuff and, like, being authentic. But um, I guess, like, it's fine because it's collaborative and not just, like, a conspiracy theory that Shakespeare didn't write any of his his works. Yeah, no, Shakespeare definitely still, he was a real person. He wrote his plays. Um, but, like, he worked with a lot of other actors, and, like, there were other playwrights at the time, and they all kind of ran in the same circles and saw each other's work. So collaboration was just kind of natural. And, like, it's not like they say, oh, Marlowe wrote these Shakespeare plays. They have him done as a co-author. So, and I just think it's really cool because two of my favorite playwrights, like, collaborated on something. It's lit! <laughs> oh, my God. That was so nerd. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're all, like, face-palming her right now. I'm here all Just week, guys. Now. I think that's it for the Millennial Falcon. I don't think, <laughs> yep, that's I don't think done. I have We're a thing. I have a really, like... We, we peaked. That's it. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right, HT, what's yours? My really like for this week is Supergirl. So, if you guys remember, I was never really um, 
excited for Supergirl. I was kind of just like on the fence about it. But this past episode really had me enthusiastic for the show for the first time. And I think it's kind of like the, ch- the shift to the CW and the, kind of like the shift in the status quo for a lot of the characters that had me really being like, oh, okay, this is a show that's like actually I'm interested in and I'm really intrigued by like where they're taking the characters and where they're taking the story. I think for me, like the first season felt a lot like, it was like too frivolous. It felt kind of like a Doctor Who in tone. Just like a sort of cartoonish villain and like things that didn't really have any ramifications. But now I think like with Wynn at the DEO, which really feels like it fits, um, with that new journalist boss who I really like um, and is actually somewhat reflective of how journalism actually works in the real world and not <laughs> how like the Flash journalism works, for example. Yes. <laughs> which really bothers me every week. I'm just like, that is not how a newsroom works. <laughs> But um, the new boss, the uh, new potential love interest for Alex, uh, who is actually in the comics um, Kate Kane's uh, girlfriend at one point, Batwoman. Fiance. Um, oh, fiance. I'm sorry. Yeah, Kate Kane proposes to Maggie. It's really? so cute. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's really adorable. Okay. Oh, spoilers. Um, and just like, I like the whole sort of, sort of X-Men-ish vibe that... The whole alien amnesty act thing is going on, and Linda Carter was so good as Madam President, and like there's a whole little intrigue with her too. So I'm just I'm for the first time I'm excited about Supergirl, and I can't wait to see where it's taking me next. Yay! This makes me so happy. Very happy. I'm on board, guys. Yes, I still have to catch up with it. (laughs) You should do that, Mike. Mm -hmm. This season is good. Yeah, because I know how you feel about Batman versus Superman, and don't worry, the Superman that they have in this show is... He's a sociopath? ...is just the best. He's adorable. Uh, oh, so Mike, Mike's on our side about yeah. Batman v Superman? Of okay. course. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, no, this Superman uses emojis, so... I think that's This kind is of... Teen Wolf Superman, right? Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah, it's great. All right, guys. Well, if you guys have any thoughts on monster movies, Halloween, Voltron, Hunt for the Wilder People, Christopher Marlowe and William Shakespeare, or Supergirl, you should definitely come chat with us about those things. And where can they do that, Willoughby? Uh, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter at Falcon Podcast, uh, on our blog, MillennialFalconPodcast.wordpress.com, or also uh, on iTunes and Google Play where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us. And we're also on SoundCloud. Um, so where can they find you guys? Let's go with Mike because you're our guest. Um, I'm very active on my Twitter account, msullengill91, where I just tweet random stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me at htrenbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Oh yes, and thank you, Mike, for joining us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone.